0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices,
1: and I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational-style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soulfire Soul production. Fire. Hi, <laughs> I think
1: this is pretty. This is pretty amazing. I mean,
0: what's amazing?
1: Well, you're in Hawaii and I'm on a tiny island in Indonesia and we are able to talk and record. It's pretty incredible. I know I got you up out of bed, but here we are.
0: Yeah, the time difference isn't as bad as if I was on the mainland, but I'm still jet lagged. So I'm still living in Utah time, even though I'm in Hawaii. That's not
1: that much time difference.
0: Three hours. hi everybody Thanks. welcome to the podcast we're doing our best to keep it going for you from far away distances and far off countries right
1: yeah we sure are and this is episode number 300 so i've got a little recap of the podcast okay if you want okay uh, good
0: yeah no no i mean i didn't know you were going to do that that's exciting i didn't even know it was number 300 but that's great
1: You forgot. (laughs) Um, And in a little bit, we're going to be talking to Ibu Robbins, Robin Lim. She's a midwife here in Bali. She is my host for this trip that I'm doing. And she's got a amazing nonprofit organization called Bumi Sahat, which she'll talk about. She's got six clinics and had the honor and privilege to join our three books already here in the um, First Center here in Ubud, Bali, Indonesia. And I've taken a little excursion. I'm on the Gili Islands now. So we didn't have time when we recorded with Robin. So we decided we would coordinate our schedules and, and talk to you guys, give you a little intro and a little recap. And we've been working on it. So today I Texas too I was like how about now he's like well I'm in bed I'm not sleeping so I guess I can get up so what time is it there right now
0: it's about I don't know eight forty in the evening
1: okay yeah and it's two in the afternoon the next day here in Bali so yeah. I'm uh I'm gonna go out and enjoy the beautiful poolside cocktail in a minute but I thought we could uh coordinate and do this
0: first well, if there's any person I would ever get out of bed for bliss, it would be you. And I, I just have to say that the idea that this is number three hundred—that's a lot. You know, I look back. You, I think you started with me in 2016 or 2017. I can't quite remember when, but because it is an even number, and you, people listen to me know that I have this even number rule, which means that even numbers are generally bullshit. But this is actually a monumental even number, so I'll I'll accept this number. Right.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> it's pretty fun. So. According to this, you and I have done the most podcasts there. So you started in July, 2013. Remember when you were thinking about doing a podcast, do you want to do a podcast with me? And I was like, I don't, I don't see the point. Cause you know, I just didn't get it yet. It was way, you were way ahead of your time. So you did 90 episodes with Brian. You want to talk a little bit about your host back then, Brian?
0: Yeah. Well, Brian Whitman was he might still be. I don't know. He was a uh, morning talk show radio host on a big network in uh, in LA on the big on the regular when on drive time radio in the morning. And he was also my friend. I got to know him through his partner. And we were having breakfast one morning, and he got me ranting, which was not hard to do even back then. I probably <laughs> ranted more than I do now. And and he said, "You you should have you should do a podcast." And it was t- 2013, and I didn't even know what podcasts really were. Um, Right, But since he was a radio guy, he knew and he had his friend Randy, the producer, and we had a studio all set up to go. So we just started doing it and it's taken off. And obviously, never expected it to take off and get as big as it seems to have gotten. I'm, you know, sort of awed and honored by the whole thing, but wouldn't have wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Brian Whitman. So thank you, Brian, wherever you are.
1: Thanks, Brian. So you guys did 90 episodes together and then... Ninety-three. You, it seems like you did a couple episodes by yourself because you guys did your last episode together in September of two thousand fifteen, and then you did a couple episodes in June two thousand sixteen, and then episode ninety-three hundred was the one you did with your dad.
0: Yes, it was my dad's yeah. night. My dad's ninety-sixth birthday. I still remember we were up in central to northern Minnesota on a lake with my whole family. Went up there and we were staying at a resort and. uh I interviewed him and it was very memorable for me because about five months later he passed away. So that's oh. memorialized for me to have my dad, you know, and my dad was very funny because he said things like, dad, what, what'd you feel like when I was born? And he goes, I don't remember. <laughs> Were you excited? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a different world. <laughs> about I'll have to listen to
1: You'll it. You'll have
0: to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the stint in the war and how he met my mom and, how we knew instantly that my mom was the one for him. I think they had a, essentially like a two or three month courtship and that was it. So they got married and, and then they had my sister and then they had me. Uh, yeah. So that was number 100 was something I'll always remember for sure.
1: Yeah. And in between there, you did some episodes with Kimberly Durden, who's a licensed midwife in an IBCLC in Los Angeles. I think you guys did maybe about 10 or 12 episodes together. And then in October 18th, 2017, so we're going to be going on five years, right? Six. In October? Six. Six years. You and I have been doing this together. So uh, that first episode, we redid it again recently. It's called Remember to Breathe. Um, and then in April of 2020, we did 20 fireside chats because we were trying to do something to support people through the insanity. And we weren't able to go in and do what we had been doing, which was recording in a studio with John, right. Um, who was our editor at the time. And we usually would go in and sit on his couch with his cute dog. What was his dog's name?
0: Uh Oh, I can't remember. Spot.
1: Super cute little dog. Yeah. And we had our little mics and our headphones and we would record two episodes at a time because it was really hard to coordinate our schedule. So we were kind of all over the place.
0: Yeah. And that's when and we then, had my that's when we had our old theme song uh, Cornfield Chase from Interstellar from
1: I know you missed that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank you, Hans Zimmer. Again, I, I have to thank Hans every once at least once a year.
1: <laughs> and then January 9th, 2020 is when we did Let's Talk About Sky, the episode. After my daughter passed, that if was any really of you
0: haven't one. listened to that one. What episode number is that, Liz?
1: Um, geez, I didn't write down the number, but it's January 9th, twenty twenty.
0: Okay, you should all listen to that. We Sky has an incredible voice, and we play a song by Sky and her dad, and it's just moving. And I've listened to it off and on. I haven't told you about that, but periodically, I just listen to it. Yeah. Me
1: too. It's so, very special. It is. And 205 was the episode that we started to do. We switched from Dr. Stu's podcast to Birthing Instinct's podcast. And our first episode was No Place Like Home. And then 2006, we did our background stories. So if you guys wanted to go back and listen, No Place Like Home is basically why I do a home birth. We thought that would be a really great place to start as our new podcast where we had topics. And then we thought, Everybody might be interested in our stories and how we got to be where we are. So, those are great ones to go back and listen to. I know a lot of you said that you've been starting at the beginning, but those of you who don't know, it's been like 10 years, Stu. It's like pretty impressive. And I'm honored to be part of it for sure.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking us down memory lane here, too. Again, I wasn't expecting that because I really didn't remember (laughs) it was number 300. But what I'm really excited about, of course, is today's interview. Uh, Yeah. He's just, you know, Steal a line from old Saturday Night Live. She's a wild and crazy guy.
1: <laughs> she, <laughs> Damn.
0: And I hope that our, I hope that our listeners get a kick out of it because you know, all you have to do is like put a nickel in her and off she goes. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I told Stu, I was like, no extra stuff today because she's can fill up an hour, no problem. She just has the best stories. And we talk about all the time, like, you know, the best way to learn about all of this is storytelling. So I've been so honored every time i sit with her i just learned so so much she talks about the local herbs and you know passion fruit to lower your cholesterol and your this to lower your blood pressure and so it's pretty it's been pretty amazing for me
0: yeah and i look forward to uh the next the next 100 with you no matter yeah. where we are in the world we'll keep doing this
1: yeah awesome. is there anything
0: were there any other highlights because i know we've covered topic after topic after topic and people are always asking us to catalog them and we really haven't cataloged them. So when people write me about, did you ever do one on diabetes? I, you know, I had to go back and find the one. Yeah, stop sugarcoating. I think it was called uh, about diabetes and I find it and then I send it to them. But we, we really nice if we sort of had a catalog and figured out what topics we haven't covered yet. But if anybody again is listening and wants to send us topics, we will eventually, I won't say we will for sure get to them, but we'll probably get to them. We'll do a topic. I have
1: a long list.
0: Yeah, I know. I've seen it. I've seen it.
1: (laughs) I keep track. Okay, Stu. Well, thanks for jumping up out of bed. And I hope that everybody enjoys this wonderful interview with Robin Lim.
0: Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. We'll be back to our usual format. One of our great sponsors is Element, that's L-M-N-T. It's a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. As Bliss likes to say, none of the BS. It's got uh, lots of salt, no sugar. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs, and it's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. But as we always say, it's great for laboring moms. It's great for birth workers. It's great for birth workers who happen to be in the tropics, uh, I'm planning to take uh, my element with me to my trip in Haiti, where it's going to be hot and sweaty every day, and I'm going to be using that. It's easy to pack; comes in these small little packets, which make the weight and uh, packing it in your little tiny backpack suitcase pretty easy thing to do. Comes in multiple flavors. My favorite, of course, is the raspberry salt, but it comes in grapefruit salt, watermelon salt, citrus salt, orange salt, raw unflavored, mango chili, lemon habanero, and chocolate salt. It's got. Again, no processed foods in it. It's really healthy for you. A lot of athletes, professional athletes use it. You might've seen some of their commercials on Instagram. We support them because they support us. And if you go to drink element, that's drinklmnt.com and use the code word Instincts or backslash Instincts, you will get a free sample pack with every order. That's drinkelement.com backslash Instincts for a free sample pack with every order. Thanks very much. Thanks, Element. This is amazing to me. I mean, I know that this is probably simplistic and stuff, but when you really think about it, it can blow your mind. Okay. We are having a tropical time traveling podcast. (laughs) Okay. Because you're, you're looking back into the past.
2: Yeah. yeah, We've already done it. (laughs) I'm,
0: I'm, I'm seeing the future. Because you you guys are it's Monday morning in Bali and it's Sunday afternoon here in Maui and we're both in the tropics. Pretty and cool. It's just a weird thing to think about that how sometimes time seems to pass really quickly, sometimes it goes really slowly. But I was just thinking about the fact that that you're looking back in time.
1: Yeah, we are.
0: <laughs> right. I lost Robin. <laughs>
1: She's best, such a busy bee. Be like That's okay. Is always all the time. So
0: we've done podcasts Robin, like, without Robin before, so we should be okay, right? um Robin,
2: <laughs> you can't, you can't get up. You're drinking. I know. I can't.
0: I can do it. The hell I want. <laughs> Robin, Robin, I think you've done interviews before. When you're on national television, do you get up and walk off the set? She can do whatever the hell she wants. She
2: that's just said, right. "I told Andy Cooper that if he didn't give me the phone, let me call the clinic. I was not gonna let him interview me after the CNN thing. This was like I don't know. None of us had WhatsApp then, so like a phone call to Bali was expensive. But it's like they kidnapped me right after. Like all the other heroes, their families went up on stage. I was just whisked off to this like catacombs of I don't know, like what was that? Some theater in LA that's really haunted, Great big one. Anyway, Kodak." He, he said i couldn't cry and he needed to interview me and i like give me your phone and let me call the clinic in bali i gotta call my family in bali because they're all freaking out and he's like well no, i'm not gonna give you that'll be like a 50 dollar phone call and i'm like then i'm not gonna be interviewed by you i don't care
0: <laughs> oh, let me back up for a second robin because you're telling stories about yourself and you and i and bliss know, people people don't- are, but maybe some people don't so why don't we're just Overjoyed and obviously Bliss will tell her story of why she's even there. But why don't you tell us your story, Robin? Go. My story.
1: Yeah, tell us. Introduce yourself first so they know who you are. And then I know you're such a great ball back here. Great storyteller. (laughs) We'll get into it.
2: So I'm Ibu Robin Lim and I'm a grandmother and I'm a midwife. What else? How long have you been a midwife? Uh, let's see. I've been in Bali 31 years and about that long. Yeah. That long. I got hijacked, you know, <laughs> then I had to like go back and get my, my CPM and all of that. And yeah, and I took the test in, I took the test, the CPM test in 1998 in the Philippines. They sent it to me at a convent. It was great. I had mother Mary statues all around me. And um, yeah, that was, that was quite a while ago. I'm actually, my mother is Filipino and um love living here and being here and, and doing what we do. I'm the shadow puppet for six clinics, four in Indonesia and two in the Philippines that are birth centers. Some of them are also community health clinics, but some of them are, are strictly reproductive health. So what is does Ibu Ibu mean? means mother. <laughs> Ibu means mother.
1: Your mom is from the Philippines, but you are American. So how did you end up with six clinics that you call them two
2: countries. Bumi
1: Sahat. What does Bumi
2: Sahat mean? Bumi is the earth mother mm-hmm. in Indonesian language mm-hmm. and Sehat is healthy. So we're a healthy mother earth foundation. Okay. And how did you, <laughs> she's showing you her t-shirt. I, <laughs> that's,
0: not, that's not all she's showing us, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Breastfed a lot of babies. Like I figured it out, 21, 29 years of being pregnant or breastfeeding. That's Both. a long time. That's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah.
1: So how did you end up, Being in Bali for the last 31 years with this massive organization, how did that start?
2: Um, Well, I think that I got kind of reduced to zero in less than a year, in about a few months' time. My sister died from complications of her third pregnancy in the care of an OBGYN. I mean, her death was preventable, preventable. And then my midwife died, the midwife that caught my third baby. And then my one of my very dearest friends on earth, Brenda died. And so I was sort of after those three strikes, I was forced to ask myself, what am I doing here? What What does life mean? You know, you've been through hell, the worst hell, worse hell than I've ever been through. And, and I decided that I was born to be here for love. And I asked myself if I was living every single day for love. And the answer was pretty much, but not always and all mothers can say, yeah, I'm doing that. But for me, I felt like I needed to do more and I didn't know what that was. And then I ended up with my current husband and he's super adventurous and willing to find any running horse with me. <laughs> you know that, that thing that saying, you know, marry someone you'll steal horses with. I don't know that saying. Oh, well, maybe he do you knew- know
1: that saying, Stu?
0: I do now maybe the
2: person is with. <laughs> maybe that's what we've been doing wrong all this time. <laughs> He's still me this <laughs> no, but anyway, the next thing I know, you know, is one of my bucket list things was to visit Bali. So his two children, he was a widower, his two children, my at that time, I had two with me, and then two of them were visiting their dad. So we took four kids, We got a plane to Bali and got pregnant. And the minute we hit Bali, and had Hanuman here. I got offered a job teaching, and and then I got hijacked into midwifery. You know, I was one of these people that was not sure I was going to jump in and be a midwife. Yeah, me too. I didn't want to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What so, was your
0: hesitation, Robin? <laughs> Robin. When you say hijacked, what, literally. What, what? Yeah, no. Somebody stole her.
2: Yes, <laughs> I'm living in a small <laughs> village.
0: Along with the horses, they were. They took her the horses, and they took the whole thing. <laughs>
1: So if you've been to Bali, you know that there's mopeds everywhere. Bali didn't visit me. <laughs> That's okay. You haven't what? been to, she said, you haven't been to visit her yet.
2: You've been to Bali and you didn't visit me.
0: Oh, I was in Bali before you were even there. 1996. here. 86.
2: You You'll will, be here, though. You will not <laughs> recognize, you will not, it's changed. Yeah. So tell them about being hijacked. What does that mean? Do um, mean? It means that. So I had Hanuman here in the village, living in a small village, in a little tiny house with some Balinese people, actually with 30 some Balinese people, sharing one toilet. We had our own toilet though, <laughs> with all these children. And and then the next thing you know, we like I had the baby, and then the baby had all his ceremonies because they decided that he was the reincarnation of someone from their family. So, because on the 12th day of someone's life, you bring offerings. To someone who's a trans healer. And the trans healer kind of like, like looked at the offerings, lit the incense, and kind of went, Oh my God, why did you let foreigners have a baby in your family compound? They said, I don't know, we like them. And they said, Well, this poor Balinese soul opened his eyes and he sees foreigners. And I'm telling you, that family, they would take this baby and I would be walking around with my breasts exploding, going, Where's my baby? I need to breastfeed my baby. And they would be off in the village, figured out that, including me, there were 13. Women breastfeeding my son, and he had all the Balinese ceremonies. I mean, how do you get the name Hanuman, you know, Balinese ceremony. And you burn five Lantar palms that're dried that have different names in Sanskrit scratched on. Them. And my kids asked them to write Hanuman down because they love the Ramayana story. They were little then, and that was their superhero was Hanuman. So they burn all the Lantar palms, and the one that survives, that's his name, and isn't it? So he got the name Hanuman. And then let's see. I mean, you know, like all Balinese, there's Wayan, Made, Nyoman, and he was my fifth, so he's Wayan Balik, which means Wayan come back again. I know
0: it's a long story. I need no details. No, it's you're saying all these things like I'm supposed to understand. Well, you've been yeah. to Bali. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Wasn't a spiritual soul back in 1986. I had just finished my residency, and I had, I wasn't in Bali to do anything, but. Beach Bali drinking, yeah, stuff.
2: <laughs> do that, yes, can. So, so I, I was,
0: I was not hijacked, and I was not smitten or anything like that with Bali, like you, like you were. I, you know, to me, it didn't, it didn't resonate. But you're saying all these things as if, as if I or the listeners are going to know what they are, and I'm just curious as to what if you said there were five different fronds that they burned. What if they all burned up? Then what? Then what would happen?
2: Yeah, but the one that survives the fire the most becomes your name. Got it. How they do it here. You don't get to choose. It's like, what happens. Spirit chooses. Spirit chooses. Mm-hmm. Fire chooses mm-hmm. in that case. And anyway, and like the Hanama, he, he was born... All my children had all this black, luscious, you know, part Filipino hair and brown eyes. And he was born with no hair. Bald, white, white, white baby. The thing they always wanted in this village was their... Any Balinese village was their own white baby boy. So, So it was really fun to have a baby here because you get a 42-day laying in, you get people cooking for you, you get all the juicy postpartum things that were always my fantasy that every woman would have. I had that here. And then all these beautiful Hindu ceremonies for my child and for my family. And then when he was 42 days old, after 42 days, your baby moon in Bali is over. You're back to normal life. That night, after his 42-day ceremony, that night, they... Some guy came and said, so you're the Dukun Ba'i, which is traditional birth attendant. And my wife's in labor across the bridge. You need to come with me. Now, the bridge is three pieces of 20 plus meters by iron laid end to end over this roaring river with giant rocks. So you have to walk on this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Someone who was a former iron worker, you know, like 26th floor walking on girders was like nothing to him. So like, literally I was like, oh, I'll just go get wet in the river. And I don't have a birth. I don't even know, like, what are they making me go there for? The Dukunbayi, Bayi, the traditional birth attendant said that I would come. So I'm like, okay. And my husband picked me up and walked me over the bridge. And I went and helped some really, really, really old man. Catch a baby.
0: So some wise person looked at you and knew that this was inside of you because your only qualification for being this thing, I can't remember, was that you'd had a baby six weeks, six weeks earlier, right?
2: Well, I, I mean, I'd been studying midwifery in Hawaii. They didn't know that. Yeah. I was the author of I was the author of After the Baby's Birth. They didn't know that. They didn't know that I was all into birth, you know, teaching prenatal yoga and doing this and that birth class in Hawaii with my friends. But They didn't know that. But what they did know is that while I was pregnant, an owl, two baby owls, like they look like puffballs with big eyes and really nasty beaks, two baby owls fell in a tree. Somebody scooped them up because it was really windy. And so they were motherless, you know, they were, and put them in a plastic little bucket, a little cheddar, gave them to my son Thor and said, Give these to your mother. She'll take care of them. So pretty soon, I'm pregnant. And when you're pregnant, when you hear an owl, that means that, well, if you hear an owl, someone around you is pregnant. They might not be telling you yet, but they're pregnant or someone's about to die. That's the known fact in Bali. The owls will tell you, but when the owls come and live with you and you're pregnant, you're the traditional birth attendant. I didn't know that. Pretty soon I had these baby owls flying around. Then (laughs) next thing you know, um, I find out after the fact that the traditional birth attendant, now in Bali, both men and women were traditional birth attendants. It was often a man because they'd have the courage and they'd have the cigarette so they could burn the cord. "No, got to smoke that cigarette, burn that cord. So, you know, it also often the traditional birth attendant was the one who was willing to go down a well and pull a body out when someone fell in a well. You have to have guts, you know? So the traditional birth attendant was on his deathbed and everybody was like, what are we going to do? And he said, don't worry, I'll send somebody 10 days after I die. Well, I got asked to come and live in this village, moved in 10 days after he died. What was I to do? I didn't know. I didn't know. So everybody was watching, my husband and I, trying to see which one of us was going to be the traditional birth attendant. He said he would send a stranger 10 days after he died. And then, I don't know, then I just got really hijacked. So I went to one birth, you know, I, all of a sudden I'm there and this woman is hemorrhage after childbirth Is was in those 31 years ago, the leading cause of death on this island. Hemorrhage. Hemorrhage, mm-hmm. yeah, of adult death. And there I am in this family compound, like dirt floor, you know, really old style Bali across the river where they had no income. And I'm with this traditional birth attendant, this old guy who's ancient. And mother gives birth and she's hemorrhaging and I'm doing bimanual, you know, out out exterior bimanual compression. How'd you know how to do that? Because I've been studying midwifery. Oh, okay. You know, I read Liz Davis's book. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth
1: David. Yeah. Front yeah. In
2: hand. Uh-huh. And yeah, I've been studying midwifery and quite mm-hmm. diligently, but also thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I like my sleep. I like my sleep. <laughs> and that's just a big commitment, I feel like. Yeah. That's a huge one. So
1: this your manual compression
2: and it stopped and then you know massaged her the ducumbaya was like oh i learned the thing. oh that's so good wow thank you you know made sure someone went and got her a coconut kept her hydrated and she did fine and got her breastfeeding and yeah you know in the morning i got myself home somehow i actually walked they walked me down into the river and i waited i was cold and wet but that's okay and then i and then the next thing oh the next couple of days later I was called to go across the river the other way. And there was a family there who wanted to know if I could help with breastfeeding because a woman had triplets and she'd come home from the hospital. Two of them survived. And she and she was having a really hard time breastfeeding. And so I went and helped her to get both of the tiny little twins on the breast. I went there a lot. And, you know, she ended up fully breastfeeding those twins there they're 31
1: years old. That's, That's amazing. So you started to be known around here as the midwife and people would come. So it was a village all over you in the middle yeah. of the night. They'd just come and pick her
2: up and say, you have yeah. to come with me. And I never knew where I was going organized a birth kit for myself. <laughs> and I was the person, it was a wood carving village. And so people would hold the wood in their feet, you know, with their two feet. And then they'd be going like this with a really sharp thing and they'd slip and they get these big cuts and they come to me and I'd sew them up in my kitchen I just kind of had to wing it because I didn't know how to sew them I know how to I'm good now you know there's a lot of things I know I can't do like I just like my mother has a television set she's 90 she lives with my Filipino mom and if the television isn't working. Like it's just changing the channel, but you know, the cable thing, I cannot make it work. Yeah. Hey, we all have our strengths, but I can, so I can build someone a new vagina. I can sew. Like, she does fourth degree tears. I do. Yeah. I don't love it, but yeah. when I do it, I'm proud and I'm happy. And then I'm, I'm there feeding them flies in the morning going, have you pooped? <laughs> Tell me you pooped. And they're like what's the big deal? I just, I had a few stitches. I'm like, yeah please poop.
1: <laughs> so, so you, you were doing all this midwifery, you had studied a little bit and then you decided I I want to get my license. Yeah.
2: And I was pulling teeth, you know, like I was taking old people with toothaches, the big rotten teeth all the way. Like I'd have to, my husband would have to drive us. We'd have to rent a car and we'd drive all the way to Dembassar. And then this woman, Dennis, she goes, stop bringing me these old people. Cause I'm charging you full price. I'm not giving you a discount. And I'm like, come on. I mean, they they're in pain and they're old people and they need help and she gave me just tools to pull teeth. She goes too easy. Just do it in your kitchen. So I started pulling teeth,
0: and you know it was also it's like the village. The village. It, yeah. Did you did you, Robin? Did you also shoe horses?
2: No, they don't have horses here in Bobby because
0: that's where the blacksmith used to be. The person that would pull the teeth and do the surgery too, didn't they? I think I didn't
2: know that. We don't. I've really watched have a lot a- of westerns. <laughs> once did give us a horse, but that's a whole nother story that, was nother- okay. that horse was not nice and so then you- like people would have cockfights, right the men they were into cockfighting and they'd squat down and <laughs> you mean you
0: mean the ones that look like chickens, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, not there
2: <laughs> they're an extension of their cocks
0: somewhere. of course they are right
2: no. Yeah. Now it's you don't see it like that anymore because it's illegal also. But it used to be legal then too. But everybody did it. But you'd see men at sunset all sitting there petting their their giant cocks, like petting the chickens. Co- <laughs> but then they would put they would put blades on the cocks feet, and then you know they, it's a fight to the death, and it's a big gambling thing. But it would you know if you got too close and the cocks backed up into you, you would get all sliced up. So it's like getting somebody with like deep slices all in their hands and arms.
0: You know, so that's, that's, that. that's the scariest thing I think I've heard in a long time is that they actually put razor blades on the feet of chickens blades. in a cockfight. That's
2: why it's
1: illegal. Because that, it's doesn't seem,
0: that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: tell us about, yeah. tell us about getting your license. So oh, you went so, to the Philippines. You, yeah, so mm-hmm.
2: I started to see an arm exam and you know that whole thing. And June Whitson, do you remember June Whitson? No. June Whitson, she was the first elected brazen woman. <laughs> she was a British midwife. She was one of the midwives, actually one of the real called the midwife's midwife. And actually Jenny Lee, who wrote the book, was her best friend. So she's in there. We actually, her daughter and I decided that she was Trixie but call the midwife. mm -hmm, midwife, Yeah. it's So crazy in the Philippines, we'd be intense after the big typhoon disaster and we'd be intense. And like, sometimes we would have 11 babies in a day. Sometimes we'd only have two or three, but sometimes it was 11 babies in a day. And as soon as they were done catching babies, they would be in the kitchen with my computer watching call the midwife. And I'm like, this is sick. You're sick. You're (laughs) delivering babies. And then watching babies being born in a British television show. (laughs) It's just, wrong. Do something else. Yeah. Like what's (laughs) wrong with you? And so, um, yeah. So June Whitson, here I was, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was being called to do it. I'd also get calls from Sangla hospital and they'd say, we're shorthanded in high-risk delivery. Can you come and help us? And I'm like, where did you hear about me? There was a guy named John Fawcett who he's now passed away, John Fawcett foundation. And what they did is they brought in essential medicines that were lacking here at the time and uh, from Australia that were donated from Australia. And they did eye checks and did eye surgeries on people. And he gave me a cute little nurse uniform, which actually back then, <laughs>
0: she said it was really hot. Yeah. You can't, whis- you can't whisper on a podcast. All right. There's no whispering. I didn't be <laughs> subtle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just cock like five times. Robin, there's no subtlety on the podcast. All right. <laughs> we have no sensors. We don't have the
2: uh We don't have any we can say whatever we want. Okay. Yeah. So we we
0: had it, had it all the time.
2: Little nurse uniform and I would go to Songla hospital like literally on motorcycle with my baby between my husband and I in the rain with like a piece of plastic bag over us to get there cuz it was really far and then they would give my husband a room with the baby and say if he gets hungry bring her, bring the baby into the delivery room and like all of a sudden I was this completely inexperienced wannabe midwife doing six births an hour. And like, sometimes the emergency was that the doctors were watching World Cup on a television in the corner and they were like, shh, shh, shut her up. I can't hear. And they were, and I'd say, hello, God. there's another mom here. She's fully dialed. And they're like, shh, just do it. And, and trial now, by fire, trial by fire. Mm-hmm. So somehow when I was writing after the baby's birth, I sent like all the midways I could think of, which weren't very many, you know, like Janine Parvati and June Whitson, both of them answered me. I didn't say, and I said, What do you want in a book for mothers? I'm writing a book on postpartum. And of course, Nan, Nan Kroller, she goes, There you don't know anything. Do not be writing this book. What 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 authority do you have? And I was like, Nan, she ended up being one of my best friends. But she was like, she was like, just stop. You don't, you know. You're too young and too adorable. You don't know anything. But she was right. <laughs> I didn't. June Whitson and Anjanin and Parvati, they wrote me these long answers back telling me how I should structure my book and what I should write about and what mothers needed, what midwives would like to see mothers have. So na- So now June Whitson was being persecuted for something that she didn't do wrong. You know, she was called by some people who were in the middle of Their own twin free birth, and they got scared, and they heard that she was compassionate, and they called her, and she got in her car and drove an hour to go and help them, and she resuscitated the first baby, and then second baby she caught was fine, but uh, but then she ended up getting in trouble for that. So, as a licensed midwife in California, I guess she wasn't supposed to do that, and she was being persecuted, and the California midwives got together and said, "We want to send June, who was a widow then, out of here." And for a break, so we're sending her to you, here so, in Bali. Here in Bali, and you know, I didn't even pick her up at the airport. I, I don't know. Like back then, people sent you letters. The letter saying that they were sending her, and this was her flight information. Came after she arrived and made her way. I don't know how. She was June, you know. <laughs> yeah. She was, and we went door to door to burst. Like you know, on a full moon night, you could be called to three different villages. You get home. You're not even showered yet. You know, we had our little stainless steel box of instruments that you could like wash, dry and put in a little oven, which we didn't have a real stove. We had a little stove top gas oven and we had a Dutch oven you put on top of that where you could mm-hmm. bake bread. You know, it was kind of this flimsy little oven that could fall off the stove and you'd sterilize your instruments in there. But we could also sterilize them on wood fires. So if we went from one berth to the other, we could wash and clean them and then dry them and put them back in the stainless steel box and put them in a wood fire and sterilize them that way. And we were and doing that.
0: To, they used to do that with whiskey back in the, <laughs> back in the day. They just, they just pour whiskey on the wound and then they'd operate. That's, that's what they would do. But <laughs>
1: here <about> here.
0: <laughs> No, what year are we talking about, Robin? Just to, just to stay oriented here. With yeah, the yeah. Okay. All right. Three so you'd been again. there about two years then.
2: Yeah. By then getting on a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. And and so I had June Whitson with me and they kept sending her back. It was great. You know, she'd have to go back for it her here in her back. And she taught me that the most important thing you pack in your birth bag is your prayers. And she said, and a bendable straw, you need a bendable straw for the mom, okay. to keep her hydrated, <laughs> you know? And she loved it here. You know, it's like we were giving women, the men would be like, Oh my God, my wife's in labor. And they'd be panicking. And I'd say, you know what? The most important thing is to keep her hydrated and June would be there going like this, trying to translate for it. But my Indonesian was so bad then and my Bahasa Bali was worse. And she's like, yeah, yeah, tell him we had to keep her hydrated. And I'd say, so the only way we can do that is if you climb a coconut tree and bring me back coconuts. So dads in labor were very useful here because we had them up trees and they wouldn't bother us. <laughs> <laughs> no, so she I, became kind of a Oh, she, she was my She was your pre sure. okay. And then she... She said she called me up one day when she was actually in California, and she said, "You know, there's this this thing like North American Registry of Midwives. You can become a CPM, but you know, there's all these these criteria." And I go, "Well, I don't know how I could like make the criteria." She goes, "Robin, I was just there. You have a stack of 375 births that you've done because I kept charts. Uh, Not on the first probably." Few, (laughs) quite a few. But I kept charts. You know, that's one of the things June taught me. She goes, You just chart everything just routinely. You never know. You might need that information. And she goes, You have charts on 375 moms. You know, that's where you begin. She goes, the thing that midwives are trying to get is experience. And she goes, and I will be your preceptor and and we'll just do this. And you have to sit for an exam. So it was like the pet process, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was back then. It mm-hmm. was the granny in mm-hmm. and you had to have, I don't know how I many, I think you had to have 50 births then, which is nothing, but yeah, yeah. that's a lot. Now, I mean, if you're following a home birth midwife around, say in California, trying to get births, it could take years to get that many,
1: you but if you think about what experience you get from 50 births, mm-hmm. it's nothing compared to what you actually need. And, you know, when I was in right. school, they would always say like, you have to realize that when you get your license, you are a brand new midwife. Like you are, you're in like, diapers. yeah, you're a baby midwife. And, and I felt that way when I was licensed. That's why I would bring people with me that I felt like had more experience than I did right. until I felt comfortable enough because mm-hmm. really like 50 births, Yeah, you know, even mm-hmm. still, I haven't knock on wood, seen some things be that I learned about. I know. <laughs>
2: You know, Tracy Lowe was here. Do you know Tracy you Lowe? Yeah, Tracy Lowe. Do you know tra- sure. sure. We were her preceptors here. She was here 11 years ago. She was here six years ago with an increasing number of kids. And then she was here just recently. And she said, You know, all these years, I can't believe I've never been at a breach birth. And I t- I said, Be careful. <laughs> Literally, two days later, we had a major, like, crazy story with a, a sideways baby. The mom's screaming, she wants to push. And of the young midwife that brought her in when she was screaming on her motorcycle when she arrived in our parking lot saying, I need to push, somebody help me. And two young midwives run out there and they're helping her off the motorbike. Her water splashes on their feet and they go, we believe you. She goes, no, no, I gotta push, I gotta push. And as soon as she sees the bed, she throws herself down and goes, hey, check me. So the young midwife goes, can I touch your labia and check you now? And she goes, just do it. She touches her labia and a little hand comes out and grabs her fingers.
0: (laughs) Okay.
2: <laughs> that
1: would be a little freaky, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they
2: called you. Right. They
0: start screaming, screaming, screaming. That's screaming. not that's this is not Tracy's breach birth you're talking about, is it?
2: Well, yeah. So okay, so wait for it. Yeah, <laughs> so no, no, <laughs> there's this bridge like that, and they're across the bridge. I'm in I'm doing prenatal care because usually in the mornings. There's this whole thing of many people who don't speak Indonesian, like foreigners come for their prenatal care. And they, we try to herd them into several, not every day of the week, but a few days a week. Uh, and myself and Navy, who's another Balinese experienced midwife, works with me, and she's amazing. Anyway, we were there and I was interpreting for, the, for six different Russian couples that are here. Because, you know, Russians need to stay away from Russia so they don't get drafted, right? So we have an incredible number of Russians and we do a lot of births for Ukrainian families here that are indigent, whose families have put all of their money to get them out of the country because they're pregnant and they don't want anything to happen to the grandchild. So we help those Ukrainian families and, you know, they can come here and have their births for free. Don't put that. I mean, maybe then we should
1: <laughs> edit that <laughs> whole, part out. The whole world.
2: No, no, no. I expect people that have money to make generous donations. If we say hi, it's only fair because we help the poorest people for free. That's right. And so you were doing clinic. I'm and... doing clinic. And mm-hmm. so I jump up, I jump up and I run mm-hmm. because I'm being screamed for. And actually a Russian guy grabs my hand and goes, no, no, we were first. So I <laughs> keep going. There's an emergency. please first. And I, you know, I run into this like we have an intake room cuz since COVID, you have to be tested for COVID blah, blah 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 before you go into a birth room. And it's also kind of nice because you might not really be in labor and and you know, there's a midwife holding your hand while you wait for the damn antigen 5-minute test to happen cuz that can make people's blood pressure really go up, you know, while they wait. I know it's hard. But anyway, our midwives tap their hearts and say, "I'm right here. Your test is going to be negative." And
0: anyway, because if it's positive, they have to go to the hospital here. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. They, don't want, they
1: don't want to
0: go to that, is that still okay. Is that still going on now?
2: Yeah, but it's nobody tests, nobody positive, tests positive, really,
0: but and, that's still the rule. But here.
2: if people were symptomatic and thought they had COVID, they would wait till the baby was on the perineum and then it was too late to move them. So they have their babies anyway here with us,
0: you know, with my. Yeah. We'll get back to the hand gripping the finger story, but just as an aside, you are, you are doing the dream of what every midwife and doctor, not every doctor, because doctors are nervous and scared, but people like Bliss and I would love to be free to do without the, the, the boards and the lawyers and the, and the administrators and all those people with, they don't, they don't add much of anything to the process, but they take away so much.
1: Yeah, but she has a lot of rules she has to follow. There's regulations. She can't do breaches and twins. There's a lot of, a lot of things. No VBACs?
2: We're not supposed to do VBACs, breaches, twins, or water births. Yeah. Who makes these rules? The doctors? Always do them. Yes. The OBGYN. It's not, it's not not as different as we would
1: like to believe
2: So if someone shows up fully dilated, you know, you got to do your breech births. Right.
0: And so. Yeah, that's true in California too, but yeah. Yeah. but
2: women are smart and they know that and they all talk to each other. And so they'll wait until they're, you know, I mean, we had twins a couple months ago.
0: I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that you had overlords. Right.
2: We have very strident regulations in this country and you know things like, like one point, and I don't think this would happen. There was someone at the department of health and she'd show up and she was so like, she was such a tough lady and she made us take down the, Bati curtains because they were too happy. Well, they're made by a Bumi family, you know, that had their children and grandchildren with us and they made beautiful bati curtains for us. We had to put up plain curtains. And she says, You have to clamp and cut the cord immediately, and you have to take down these curtains. And we said, Thank you. Yes, whatever you want. And we changed the curtains. So she assumed that we followed all of her. But they don't clamp and cut the cord immediately so no
1: okay so you ran
2: over to this and the young midwives and eka are screaming at me and someone throws a glove at me you know and they're like like a hand came out and grabbed my fingers and i was like okay i believe you i believe you and i'm thinking no (laughs) that can't you know babies are not lintang it's so rare come on so sideways Mm -hmm. so you know, I say, okay, may I touch you and do, you know, that's gentle, vaginal. And she goes, just do it. So I do. And the, ba- you know, I get a shoulder and a little hand waving around and I'm like, okay, you're right. And I, and I just, as I was running, I saw our ambulance driver and I said, someone go tell Bug- buggy to get the ambulance, you know, make sure that it's running and there's paperwork you have to do to transport it. I'm like, get the, grab the paperwork, We'll do it on the way. And Echo grabs me by the shoulders and she's like, There's no time. This is one of the midwives. <laughs> she's the one who got the hand grab. And then and then Agnes puts a Doppler down on her belly, and we have a heartbeat of 40. There is no time. There is no time. And anymore. I'm always talking to them about the box. Let's think outside of the box. And she goes, get out of your box get out of your box
0: she's yelling like, i love that that's, like? i say that all the time i love that you said that that's just so great right so then something. what happened
2: so i said okay okay everybody stay calm okay let me just let me just get in the zone here you know so i said to Daiyu, i said can i move your baby and she goes please just let me push and i go like hold on so i put my hand on the baby's head you know exteriorly on her belly and I go to push and there's like a big, no, her eyes were like, and I was, I just felt this, the baby and whoever the divine committee is, was just like, no. So I put my hand on the baby's butt. And then I went, and the the feet hopped out. Like we have feet. And they're like, yay, but we still have a baby with a heartbeat of 40. So we just get her hands and knees and we tell her like, yeah, you're fully dilated. Just push. And she's like, Oh my God, thank you. And she's pushing. And the baby is so slow to come. Mm -hmm. And finally, you know, the baby's finally born to the waist. The cord is super tight and, you know, obviously up around the neck. And so I'm trying to get some slack on the cord. I can't. Finally, you know, one of our Navy, one of our other senior midwives does fundal pressure to get that baby down. Hands are up above the head, chin is way up, deflex. So, you know, I got one arm down and that helped a little bit, but I couldn't even find the other arm. I couldn't get up that high and, but I could feel the neck and there was like so much quarter. I mean, I'm trying, I'm up there with the arm and the shoulder, but I can't get it down. So I feel like there's a lot of quarter on the neck. So I was able to loosen the cord. It was pretty tone, darn tight and pull it over the baby boy's knees. Which and then I've never heard of anything like that before. No, no. <laughs> Close your mouth, Stuart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is that storytelling thing that we talk about. It's like, who knows one day that situation might happen and you think, oh, I remember when Robin said, pull it down over the knees and a breech baby. I mean, I wouldn't have ever thought of that. So right.
2: Yeah, because I, you know, I don't know. I just don't cords and then sometimes maybe cutting the cord would have. Been worse, worse for him. I think it would have been worse, especially you'll hear the rest of the story. So, over his knees, and then it loosened, and then I was able to loosen the other two loops, and he was born and, you know, pretty nice, popped out. But by then, he had no heartbeat at all. So, of course, my team is like this machine, you know, they had the bag and mask and the whole CPR kit ready, and our little resuscitation thing because we don't cut the cord. So, we got to do it. We do it on a little clipboard with baby blankets taped to it. And, you know, so, we're doing full NRP, you know, one and chest two and three and breathe mm-hmm. with chest compressions. And someone went and, and, and meanwhile, someone before that happened called Tracy because they know that Tracy's a cranial psychotherapist. Everybody at BBC knows cranial psychotherapy is magic. So, someone had taken my phone and called Tracy, and Tracy was there and got to be at a breech birth. <laughs> she was probably damaged by this. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she has any more wishes for breech births now, but. Um, so, so we're doing full all on, you know, chest compressions and bag and mask and one and two and three and breathe and one, and two and three and breathe. And someone ran and got Dr. Adi. We have a doctor every day on staff who does, you know, general medicine and works with our acupuncturists as well. I mean, we have this sort of dream thing. Oh, the mom's labor is stalled. Let's get our acupuncturist to come in the birth room and needle her and, you know, put some electric acupuncture on her back and make her feel comfortable. And, you know, we, we have all of that there right there. And we have a lab. No, you need your lab work. You shouldn't have to go and pay a thousand dollars when you're, you know, your monthly income is $300. You shouldn't have to pay a thousand dollars for your pregnancy lab work. We'll do it for free. And we do it right here. It takes 20 minutes instead of waiting for six hours to get your number up. Right. And then waiting for six days to get your results. So we're like, we have all that capability. So our well, doctor it's also, it's right also in. a
0: crime. It's also a crime that someone would charge a thousand dollars for, prenatal labs. I mean that's that's crazy, that's just insane.
2: What does it right. cost in California?
1: Well, without insurance, I'm sure that they could probably charge that much. Yeah,
0: but we yeah. get, yeah, but we negotiated cash prices. Like I think it's less than two hundred bucks. But yeah. still, that's a lot. That's a lot of money for somebody making three hundred dollars a month. I'm just saying.
2: that Yeah. Oh, that's someone with, the, that's with the good a someone with a good gaji making three hundred dollars. Yeah, and here. there's
0: no compassion, right?
2: Right. Well, there is. When me say hut, so. Anyway, someone ran and got Dr. Adi, who was on shift at that moment. We have two women doctors, Dr. Dayu and Dr. Ayu. And Dr. Adi, he's wonderful, but he's a guy, you know? So he comes running in and he's got a baby stethoscope, that someone handed him in his hand, this pink stethoscope. And he's dancing around behind me while we're doing this full thing on the baby and um, trying to get this baby back in the body. And he's going, how can I have? And I'm like, finally, you know, and just working on this baby. And finally, I just yelled at him over my shoulder. I said, you can pray. And immediately, every midwife in the room and this doctor started singing Gayatri Mantra. Om Burbaswa to bring this Hindu baby into the body. And I swear to God, right under my fingers, I felt his heart jump. And I said, listen. And he, he started crying. He goes, his, his heart beats 100. So this miracle happens. This baby is breathing and I don't know, he's not breathing. His heart is beating and he's still not making any attempt to breathe. And so one and two and three and bag and mask and, and, you know, everyone's getting worried. They're like, why won't he breathe? And I, and I talked to the baby, his name is, you know, he's a Fomang. And I said, come on, you got to give, give your, your all, you know, it's your turn. And, and I'm speaking to him in Indonesian and I said, we'll give you another breath. And then the next one, you have to try. And they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And so one and two and three gets a breath. And then one and two and three. And Eka's going to squeeze that bag again. And I, I stop her. And I take the mass bass off. And he goes, and I go, okay, one and two and three will give him one. And then the next one, one and two and three. And he goes, and then the next one, one and two and three, we gave him one. And the next one, one and two and three. And we didn't give it to him. And he just howled and breathed and screamed. And five minutes later, he was breastfeeding. And and we probably resuscitated him for what? 25 minutes, I think. Wow. Yeah, a long time. It was a long time. Yeah. It's a long time that we were, but but the moment he was born, the first thing I did was take that umbilical cord and melt right into his body. So he went from being totally white and limp and horrible looking to being pink. That's what they kept saying. He's pink. He's pink now. As soon as I squeezed that cord blood in, he turned pink. So we knew he was fine. Oh, we thought we knew, but you know it could have been a whole different outcome. But the mother, Dayu, she's constantly sending me pictures of this bright, happy, smiling, beaming baby boy. Yeah. She's got a million
1: and one stories. I could just sit here all day and listen to all yeah. of the amazing stories. So I had the privilege of being at two deliveries yesterday with Robin and they were like, you catch the next one. I was like, no, no, no. I'm here to watch. <laughs> I'm not here to catch. I didn't. I couldn't even speak to this woman, you know. So, but they pushed me in, and I jumped but in and woman caught was the baby. So happy. She, she was so sweet. That's
2: the baby's story. Yeah, her She's name so is Lucy. Lucy, and three is really yeah. We'll go see her after this. We'll go and visit her. Bring She's her still there. Postpartum. postpartum almond milk.
1: Yeah, which is the postpartum drink is dates water. Fresh turmeric and fresh almond milk, yeah. right? That and you make blanched almonds. And yeah. it's so delicious. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Oh no,
2: it's on my it's on my website, robinlim.com, eburobin.com. And then anybody can get it for free. That recipe's on my amazing. Menu.
0: So Bliss, let's talk about one of our sponsors, needed, and all their great products.
1: Yeah. And I uh, hope you guys caught the episode with uh, with Julie, where we talk all about her births and relationship and how she developed this company, because, you know, Stu and I are really particular about how, who we bring on to partner with and Needed is an amazing company. And they have really put a lot of effort into making sure that you guys are getting amazing, good quality products. And we want to pass that on to you. One of the things I really love about needed line besides the attention to detail is that they do have a powdered prenatal vitamin for those of you who, you know, maybe don't really like to take pills or are feeling nauseous. And it's something that you can add into a smoothie with beautiful collagen protein that they have available as well. And, and get you need. And then they also have that amazing line of uh, mints Products too, and preconception partnering the preconception before you're actually even pregnant. So, and then what about this new product that they just yeah, well you
0: first of all go to thisisneeded.com and check out their whole menu of different items and, and pick out the ones that seem the to fit your needs. But they have a new one. It's called egg quality support. It's for women considering getting pregnant, and it combines five targeted and optimally dosed antioxidants to improve egg quality and support related fertility outcomes. This is one of the only egg quality products and the only egg quality support on the market that does not contain overlapping ingredients you'll find in a prenatal like folate. In addition, we've created our egg quality support plan to even further optimally nourish those trying to conceive. The egg quality support plan pairs our new egg quality support with our standalone CoQ10 in the active antioxidant form, Ubiquinol. So try their new product and try all their old products. And support them because they support us. And go to uh, go to thisisneeded.com. Use the code word birthinginstincts instincts, all caps, and you'll save twenty percent off. You know, one-time order or the first three-month subscription at thisisneeded.com. Code word birthing instincts. Thanks, needed. Thanks, needed. So, Robin, you've been talking a lot about your place, and and I know your statistics are amazing because I've heard them before. But I, would you share them with with listeners as to you know what? Maybe what it was like when you first got there, and what's happening now, and what kind of uh, statistics you have—transfers and and outcomes and that sort of thing. Could you do that?
2: Well, when I first got here, what what I had was this beautiful visit from Ines Susante, who's one of the doctors here. She's now passed away, but she did the UNICEF study with what's her name. Anyway, she did the UNICEF study investigating in the mid eighties every single death in Bali. And what they what they found out was that the lion's share of adult deaths in Bali were mothers in the prime of their lives having a baby and hemorrhaging after childbirth. And so she begged me. She said, you've got to do something. And I'm like, who am I? And she's like, just start doing it. Just you can do it. I she says, I have feelings about people and I know that you can do this. And so... I started a nonprofit foundation and I started doing it. And with a lot of help, I don't do this alone. You saw how many midwives are on shift every day and how many people do the government paperwork and making sure that we're all, you know, the accounting to make sure that all of our donors feel confident. But one of the things that I do love doing is that we do every single birth chart, the midwives prepare a data sheet afterwards. And we take that data and it all goes in the computer and The data from 2011 to 2016 shows that our transport for cesarean rate is two to three percent, which I think is pretty good. Amazing, is it?
0: No, that's that's an amazing number. And and are are you you cherry picking? Are you cherry picking your clients? Are you like if someone's diabetic? I don't know if you have any. Often you have diabetes there, but if someone's diabetic, if someone has twins, if someone's in preterm labor, you don't you don't deal with you don't deal with them, or you still deal with those people too.
2: So for example, for someone who's having a real a real preterm labor, we need to take them to the hospital. And twins, we're not supposed to do. Sometimes twin moms have had no prenatal care, but they know they can have their baby free at say and they might show up fully dilated. And in that case, of course, we help them. And if we have to take them to the hospital, you know, one or two of our midwives goes along in our ambulance, they get no charge. If they can't pay the hospital, we find the money for them. We stay with them. The OBGYNs here like to send our belly birth moms, moms that have had cesareans, they like to send them back to Bumi Sehat for postpartum and breastfeeding support. So, maybe a few hours after that, we'll pick them up in our ambulance and bring them home so that they also feel like they planned a birth at Bumi Sehat. If they ended up with a belly birth for any reason, they're going to have their postpartum there and they're going to have that fulfillment of being a Bumisehat family. And they love it there, of course. It's a wonderful, juicy, lovely place to be.
0: And what about the baby? So, what yeah. about your outcomes for for the babies? Are they all pretty much the same? Similar? Really do you transport great. babies ever, or hardly ever?
2: Once in a while, sometimes, like if we have a baby that's that, for example, has really high bilirubin. What we we do have Billy, a bilirubin blanket, and we'll do the blue light therapy. If the baby's really febrile and really not doing well. We will transport the baby with, you know, and with all of the juicy, loving, stay with them, help the family, help them pay for it if they if they don't have money and then bring them back and keep, keep helping them. So yeah, our transports of baby are rare. Our babies, our babies are doing well. We, and, we do really.
0: And mother and mothers aren't dying from postpartum hemorrhage hardly ever. Right. Watch
2: never at all.
0: That's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks.
2: COVID killed a lot of mothers in Bali, not our mothers, but we also, you know, off the record have, (laughs) we have, there's a, there's an herb that grows here that cures COVID and we so bitter, but we would dry grind and encapsulate and give to people so that they could get over COVID quickly without, yeah, mothers were.
0: When I pause the podcast later, you have to tell me the name of this fruit. Okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah send some back with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll send some back for you. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the thing is, is, and to have doctors on board on our staff who are on board with what works and with holistic medicine and, you know, integrating, you know, to have, I just love it when an allopathic physician is talking to the acupuncturist and saying the best thing for this person post-stroke is to get, I mean, my mother's had three strokes here and she's 90 years old and she's perfectly fine. And people who have had less intense strokes than her are not walking, and she's just fine. And she's 90, but she's totally a whippersnapper. She gets acupuncture once a week now, no matter what. Um, so yeah, and, the, and the, for example, the story I told about the baby who, who was Lintar. Anyway, that baby is doing great and all of that. And the doctor who was there dancing around asking how he could help, I hear him telling other people the story. I love it when I hear him telling other people how great our midwives are. And how also protocol is when you do a full neonatal resuscitation with heart with heart compressions or chest compressions. The protocol is that baby should go to a queue and be observed for any where depending on how they're doing Maybe they'll be observed for a few hours, but usually they'll be observed for a few days, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of money, you know, to put them in an ICU. And they also get separated from mother. And so that baby was skin to skin breastfeeding, and Dr. Adi stayed with him with our with a couple of our midwives for the next two hours or so, and just like really was just there observing and listening and watching the mother breastfeed and complimenting her and making sure that they were skin to skin and they were good. And after two hours, he came to me and he said, you know, the national protocol is we got to take that baby into the NICU. And I I said, yeah, I know. I was sad about that. And he said, but if I take that baby to the NICU, he's going to die of loneliness in there. Mm -hmm. And he said, so I'm not taking him. I'm not doing it. How do you feel about that? And I said, wait a minute, who's the midwife and who's the doctor? Yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's fantastic. You know, yeah, it's lovely to see doctors who are outside the box or outside the algorithm. And they can actually individualize their care and not just follow every rule. Because, yeah, well, you've said it better than I do. You, these rules are, are not designed to be nurturing or human. They're, you know, and they and they they often will cause far more problems than they actually th- attempt mm-hmm. to correct. And and there's no thought for the microbiome or the or the the benefits of skin to skin or the benefits of breast milk in those first few days. And And no, we have to watch the baby. And, and even, you know, in America, it might be done for money. I mean, I don't think it's probably done for money in Indonesia. It's just done because the policy says that's the way, oh, it is done for money. Oh, it is. She's nodding for people that are, people are listening. She was nodding. (laughs) You can't see nodding.
2: Definitely driven by money, but it's also driven by fear, you know? And it's rare for someone in any country. And I don't want to blame this country because I love this country. You know, I'm, this is my country. Oh, it's the same here. It's rare for people to be able to get prenatal care. I feel like most people are getting prenatal scare and
0: that's
2: that's big.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. All right. So let's get back to the stories.
1: So Robin lives You know, maybe I don't know short walking distance to the birth center, and you can run pretty fast.
2: (laughs) And someone calls, and they're they're like screaming in the phone, and you don't even ask them. Wait, I can't hear you. You just run, and you always sleep in clothes if you're me. Because one time I had one time I had someone on the phone, and all I know is they scream shoulder dystocia help, and. I grab I was good. I grabbed my husband's shirt off the floor and put it on as I ran down the stairs and got to the clinic. And then, you know, they were doing all the right things. They had the mother on hands and knees and they're trying to get the baby out. And they're like, just do it. You know, we got the baby out. And then I'm resuscitating the baby with them, with our midwives. And I'm bent over this baby. And we have this beautiful Muslim nurse who is just the most amazing birthkeeper. He's now his his children, his oldest daughter is now going you know, about to start college but he tenderly wraps a sarong around my bare ass <laughs> this like devout muslim guy and he's like apologizing going maafi Ibu, boo sorry Ibu, i did you know i mean i don't mean anything by this but you know he went and got a sarong out of the laundry she said i always sleep with my clothes on now I, do. I can't go
1: running out naked
2: so it's very close but it's but i run there a lot of times in pajamas yeah, that makes sense. Bunky pajamas. That uh. is the
1: dream, right? To be right next door to a to a place where people would come to you. But when you drive by the birth center, you know, we think of birth center as like a little small building. It looks, it's big. It looks like a hospital from the outside. I mean, it's large and it's got, you know, an entryway and then people can come for, like she was saying, for labs and acupuncture for just general health. And then they have four Birthrooms?
2: I mean well, we have, have well we have two official birthrooms and the other one becomes a birthroom at night, the checkup room. And then they have the postpartum and then rooms. And then there's the first the postpartum way. rooms, but everyone always gets their own room. So if if the birthrooms are full, then we'll just make a postpartum room into a birthroom because you want to be able to have anyone in your family there and you want to have your privacy.
1: Yeah. And, and they stuff. have this beautiful toy pond with fountains and, and stuff in between. It's all open. It's just what a beautiful place to be able to deliver. And it's all available to people who live here for free. They can come and get the services for free. So I definitely wanted people to know about this beautiful work that Robin is doing. And it's, you know, you accept donations. We need donations. That's how we survive. Yeah. So, you know, we'll make sure and put a link up for people who are interested in, in learning more about it. Right. Tell us a little bit more about about the CNN Hero Award. How did that come about? Because that was in like
2: 2010 or 11, we we said. 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, So someone called me in the middle of the night, a woman called me and she was talking really fast. And I said, hold on, are are you in labor? No. Is this an emergency? No. And I said, okay, call me in the morning. And (laughs) And then the phone rang again and she's talking really fast. And I go, wait, I just, if you're not having an emergency, if you're if you're really are you okay? And she's like, I'm okay, but I want to talk to you. I said, you know, I don't really want to talk to people unless they really need me at three in the morning. It's Bali time, you know? It's like, where are you calling from? She goes, New York. I go, call me in the morning. I hung up again. And the third time, my husband answered the phone because he's Mr. Nice Guy, you know. Sorry about your <laughs> And I said, I didn't say anything. He he answered the phone and it's it's a landline then, you know, it's like handphones were rare here. And and he talks to her for a few minutes. I fell back asleep. And then he's like trying to wake me up because you need to talk to her. And I'm like, why? And he goes, he covers the phone up. He goes, cause she's calling from Turner Broadcasting CNN and they want to make you a hero. I go, I don't want to be on TV. And I especially don't want to know. And he goes, and he goes, well, I think it'd be really good for say hot. You just, you know, you can, you never know. And I said, ask her right out how much money they're going to give Boomy Sayhat if I do this, if I talk to her. And he, he talks to her again. He goes, okay. And he goes, it covers the thing. He goes, if you get top 10, Boomy Sayhat gets $50,000. I go, give me the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, you know, $250,000 more because I was number one hero. My kids were so funny. My By then, my children, except for our adopted daughter, but most of them were adults. My daughter were like, I, I was like so happy to be one of the top 10. I was actually in Australia. I'm doing a fundraiser with a bunch of old ladies from wonderful churches when we found out that I was one of the top 10 and my daughter, and you know, I didn't have a Facebook page, you know, none of that stuff. And then my daughters started going, you know what you need, you know, to let us promote this. I mean, you know, we we set you up a Facebook page and, and my daughter Lakota was like, you're going on tour with me. And her husband, who's a Balinese rock star, you're going to go on tour. We're going to get all the young people in Indonesia to vote for you you know, you've delivered babies for, you know, you've caught, you've received babies for Australians and Japanese people and people from all over the world, especially people that are married here. And, you know, they might be married to a Balinese person and they, they need, you know, real, they need support because they're in a new culture. And she goes, there's all these people, thousands and thousands of them, and they all have friends, like, let's do this. And I'm like, oh, it's not a big deal. And they got mad at me They go, yeah, it's a really big deal. They go, you know, most people don't even know what a midwife is. Yep. Not in America. Yeah. And yeah. And my daughter goes, we are effing going to make you the Delay mama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. I'm
2: like, oh my God. what you know, and I kept saying to the CNN, I'm not the one, you know, it's like, there's so many more amazing midwives. I'm just like doing my thing here and quietly and trying to be quiet. And we, I did go on tour with my daughter and then people started doing big campaigns, hotels here did things where they set up computers for their employees to be able to vote like in the lunchroom. And, you know, it's just incredible, incredible. Who nominated just, you? you know, Who no- My friend he said that lots and lots of people nominated me, but a friend of mine that works here as a volunteer, Liz, Liz Sinclair, she's been here forever and ever. And she nominated me. And she's also a very gifted writer and she wrote something that they loved. And you know what? I've never read it. It's actually embossed, like a couple paragraphs on the back of the CNN award. I should read it. You should probably read it.
0: <laughs> <should> read it.
1: <laughs> I do feel like when when you were nominated, the sanctuary was in its heyday. You know, it was like that 2010 is when we actually opened the birth center. We had been a birth practice since 2006, but that was kind of like, we really had done what we had envisioned doing and then you got the cnn hero award and it it really did i agree like it felt like it legitimized Mm -hmm. midwifery in in this beautiful way to have you representing it was wild this amazing thing that you know we're all trying still you know to Mm -hmm. this day still trying to speak out and and mary jackson was there with her Mary Jackson, her daughter. who's a midwife in Santa Barbara. You know Mary Jackson. You know Mary.
0: Yeah, I think she's yeah. in Ojai. Wasn't she in Ojai? But that's, yes, I know her very well, actually.
2: In Santa Barbara. She caught my first two children with Debbie Lowry. And she was there with her daughter. And that was, and like my high school sex education teacher and his wife were there. <laughs> you know, you are you get eight tickets. And I was like, eight tickets isn't enough. You know, it's like, I'm not coming from like, like the next Cleveland. date. I'm, right. And I have family and my daughter and my granddaughter and my brothers and my, you know, my sister, my sister is not alive, but my brothers and their wives and, and, you know, there's no way my sex education teacher from Galita, California is not coming with his wife. There's no way. And then, you know, some of the other heroes were from other states and they were like just giving me their tickets. So that's amazing. I know I had one more ticket and Judita couldn't come because she had a birth that night.
1: Man, I would have loved to have gone. We weren't that close, yeah. to that and I know. Stu, okay. do you have any any questions? I saw you writing. Is there anything that you want to ask Robin before we? No,
0: nothing to ask. I'm just taking notes for my own benefit <laughs> because because Robin's storytelling is amazing, and. <laughs> Yeah, because she mixes in all this humor and all this foreign language stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, some of it I don't understand. And and the fact is now, if a man is being obnoxious during labor, I'm going to tell him to go gather some coconuts is what I'm going to tell him to do. <laughs> they go climb a tree.
1: You know, I, Robin is this like real spiritual, beautiful goddess woman. <laughs> and then one of the first days I was here, she's like, we got to go axe throwing. And we're I was gonna, like, we're gonna do this. okay. And she's like, midwives need to throw axes. And I was like, I love, I love this. Do so she's,
0: yeah. a fight. she's like us. She's, yeah, you she, see. you're a model. You're a model for so many people, Robin. And I, I think I was with Bliss around 2010 with the sanctuary when you won. I think that's where we, you and I, I think I first met you during that period of time. And um, yeah, I, I, You know, I've sort of stopped doing clinical work right now because I got worn out, and I'm doing teaching and stuff like that. But if I could, if I could practice in a sense of like being free to do those birth the way it's meant to be, that would be regenerative, rejuvenating, whatever else. Because you know, it's just even though you say you have lots of regulations, it sounds like you're the boss. And even if some regulator comes in, you're okay. We're taking down the curtains, but we're not doing any other stuff that you know you're. I know, say it again.
2: You don't say you're not doing something. You just say, okay. Say thank you. (laughs) Thank you, I love you. And when you say thank (laughs) Thank you, you, I love you, you, you've disarmed everybody. And you hug people that haven't been hugged. You know, that's like, right after the placenta book came out in Italian. What is it called again? Placenta, the Forgotten Chakra. Mm -hmm. And after that book came out in Italian, it's now in, it just came out in French. It's in Italian, Spanish, English, Russian. I think that's, oh, and it's going to come out any minute in Hungarian. And after the Placenta book came out in Italy, I was touring in Italy. It was, I had a couple books out in Italian and the Italian Senate and some beautiful people there gave me this beautiful Peace Award, the Alexander Langer Peace Award, which was amazing. And they do a lot to support Bumi Sehat. And I was there and suddenly this beautiful OBGYN who came to visit Bumi Sehat, uh, he He came to visit because he was on a yoga retreat and he was like, I'm going to drop by there and see the CNN hero. This is like 2012. He goes, I'm going to see the CNN hero for five minutes so that I could check it off my list and tell everybody, all the midwives and the doctors I work with that I did that, you know, and he comes in and he's waiting for me because I'm in the birth room and he's sitting next to this Balinese guy who you know he's italian and he speaks some broken english and the balinese guy speaks a little broken english and they're communicating and i'm in the birth room and we have this mother kadek having her second baby who will be named kadek and her husband kadek is talking to this italian guy outside who i haven't even met yet and she's in the birth tub and she's like where is my husband i'm about to push i'm pushing this baby out where is he and so someone opens the door and says to the dad Cadet, you better get in here. Your wife's pushing the baby. But he understands that this guy is a doctor, and they've kind of bonded. Didn't done some male bonding in the bench there. So he grabs Nicolo, who, like, <laughs> he grabs Nicolo, who our midwives in the Philippines when they they watch his videos, and they call him the wet panty videos. He's so cute. So he grabs Niccolo, who we've never seen before. He's not cute to me because he's more like my son, you know? Yeah. And and grabs him and drags him into the birth room. You know, and suddenly there's this extra man there. And I'm like, Who are you? And he goes, I'm an OBGYN. And Ibu Dewa, one of the midwives who's now passed away, she just heads just back and starts laughing. She goes, In Indonesian, she says, Well, we don't need you. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and he goes, What did she say? I said, Never mind. And he says, why am I here? And he's looking at this dad and the dad asks his wife permission. And I said, you know, and I'm looking at Kodak and she's like, I don't care if you bring the whole soccer team, as long as you stay by me and hold me. So he's squatted by the birth tub and he's got his arms around her. And Nicole is standing there like this. And I'm like, and he goes, what should I do? And I said, you should make yourself invisible right now <laughs> or you're out of here. <laughs> so I don't know where he went. And, he, and he's like, he's like, okay, okay. So he goes off in a corner somewhere and beautiful water birth. We're singing Gayatri mantra. We have flowers in the birth tub and this mother just floats her baby out and she reaches down and we help her with, bring her baby up. the Baby goes right to the breast. And I hear this <gasps> because in 13 years of being an OBGYN, he's never seen a gentle birth. he never. And then, so then I had to go downtown because somebody, you know, somebody was inviting me to dinner so that I would they would give money to Bumi Stay hot, so I had to go and, you know, do that, which is a wonderful thing. So somebody gives me a motorcycle ride and drops me off at a restaurant, and the next thing you know, of course, just as dinner comes, I get a phone call saying, you need to get here because there's this young woman named Marie who is, she's having her first baby. All of her cousins have given birth here. Her mother's here and says she wants you here, and she's now about to push and so I go, okay. I explain to the donor. I say, please give money, but I got to go. I literally walk out into the street, flag down a guy who goes, even Robin, remember when you caught my baby? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take me back to the clinic. I jump on his motorcycle. We go back to the clinic and uh, there's this beautiful young woman and she's not in a water birth tub. She didn't feel that was in the days before they banned water birth, but she's just squatting by the side of the bed. And Ibu Gungmas, who's one of our senior midwives, she looks 32 and she's now in her 80s and she's just incredible. She's retired, but she comes back and teaches and hangs out and catches babies with our team. And she lays towels down on the floor under the mother, and this mother's squatting by the bed, you know, and she's now pushing. And Nicola's standing there, and he's like, We need to get her up on the bed. I mean, what's going on here? And I'm like, I so I said to the mom, I go, Do you feel like getting up on the bed? And she goes, No. <laughs> And I said, no, she didn't want to get on the bed. And he goes, well, how will you receive the baby? And I'm like, on the floor. And Gumas is the only one with gloves on. She takes her gloves off. And he goes, what is she doing? And she goes like that to him. She's like, motions to him. She says, you need gloves. And this he goes, is what they did to me. <laughs> and so I, I hand him a pair of gloves. He puts them on. He goes, She has to get up in the bed. And I'm like, no, you need to get on the floor. He goes, Oh, like how? And I go, you just told me you do yoga. You squat down and you get down as far as you can and kind of get under the mother and you let her have her baby and you're there just, you're there just kind of as a symbol. And he goes, just like that. And I'm like, yeah, just like that. So he lays down on the, you know, first he squats, he realizes he's got to lay on his side. He gets down on the floor. He receives this baby into the world and he's crying and he's so happy. And his 20 minute visit turned into six months. (laughs) And he learned so much from you guys. Yeah. So he goes back to Mangiagalli, which is the second busiest hospital in Italy. It's in Milano. He goes back and he's like, you know, trying to change everything. And then my book comes out in Italian. And so he holds this thing where he he's vegan. (laughs) Of course he's vegan. (laughs) He has this big vegan food festival and down in the basement, he has Everybody on the staff, like 500 people down there in this basement theater. Some of the, the hospitals, most of the big ones in Italy have these theaters where they do amazing things. And so the whole staff is down there. And this beautiful woman, Elena Scocco, who she's one of these amazing birth keepers who has done amazing work with women on, you know, obstetrical violence, trauma, and helping them to deal with it and she's actually doing her PhD in Australia. Now she had her baby with us. She's there on the panel and we're kind of up on this stage and we're talking and, and we're, you know, doing demonstrations and talking about delayed cord clamping and cutting. And, you know, Nicola's is saying how he wants to make it 7,000 babies a year in this hospital. He wants to make sure all the babies get all their blood supply, which means they can't sell that, that blood off to the, to the, whoever the dealers are that are, Buying the blood and telling mothers that it's they're saving lives by giving their their themselves. cord blood. Yeah, yeah, it's not cord blood; it's baby blood. But no mother knows that, and she signs that little release. She doesn't know it. In fact, the release in America is buried in the twelve pages you got to sign in labor, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and then he whispers to me at some point. There's a guy way in the back, and he's got his arms crossed over his chest, and he's so angry, and he goes that's the head of pediatrics back there. And he's really pissed off and he's never going to approve of this. And he goes, I don't know, what are you going to say to him? What are you going to do? And I, I, didn't know what to do. So I jumped up, ran off the stage, ran down the court, you know, the middle row and just took him in my arms and hugged him. And I just rocked him. And he started first. He said, I'm not from the South. <laughs> you know, Italian stuff. Yeah hugging him and rocking him and he started sobbing in my arms and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. what I didn't know is his mom had just died that week and he really missed having a mother and he really needed a mom and of course nobody becomes a pediatrician because they want to hurt babies I don't think I hope not and he didn't know that he was hurting babies by insisting on immediate cord clamping and cutting but he knows he knew then and for him, that change was like a big labor. It was very painful. And he didn't know what to do with the thousands and thousands and thousands of babies that through his policy had been harmed, you know, hundreds of thousands probably already in his lifetime. And so beginning that day, there was delayed cord clamping and cutting in that Manjigali hospital for at least an hour, minimum of an hour for each baby. So you you healed his heart with love. Yeah, because yeah. why argue with that guy? He's smarter than me. He's a pediatrician. <laughs> exactly. And so I just did what I, I don't know. I just hugged him. But in the Mondragalia Hospital, they they say before hug, after hug. There's before <laughs> hug was immediate cord clapping, honey. After the hug, it's the hug. I love it. Yeah.
1: Well, we, we have enjoyed so much having you on. And I feel so blessed, mm-hmm. as you know, to be here with you and get like sit and just hear stories all day long. It's just my greatest pleasure. Before we leave, obviously, we talked a little bit about being able to donate money to Blue Sahat. Is there anything else if people wanted to help that you feel would make a difference besides donations well, for I the work you're the doing? Well, the most
2: important p- thing that people can do for themselves is take care of themselves and their families. You know, if you're pregnant at this moment, do not imagine that if you go to McDonald's, you're going to get an organic steak. Don't go to a hospital that has a high cesarean rate if... You know, if you take care of yourself, you raise the, you raise the, the bliss for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. and then that helps say Sat, I believe, because it helps all of us that share this vision. So family first, take care of that. And I, you know, I hope and pray for everyone that you get to have the birth that you imagine and you wish for. So that's what you can do.
1: And she's got a a lot of amazing books you can look up and and read and support buying her books. You have a brand new one called Eat, Pray Doula.
2: No, that's a long time ago. Oh no, the brand new one isn't out yet. It's like right now the working title is the Yoni Owners Manual.
1: Oh, you're still working on that one? I'm still,
2: almost done. Yeah, I'm almost done. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, there's a lot of that's information.
0: title, by the way. That's a great
2: title. The Which Yoni is... Owners <laughs> Manual. Yes. Are you jealous? You should be.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I'm. I'm jealous of just watching the two of you sitting there, like, like in such proximity. Yeah, I'm 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 jealous. Yeah, I am. It's I I'm also I'm also awed by, you know, everything that you say. Bliss and I, you know, we we say it in a different way, not as quite as colorful, maybe, but it's so right on. It's so it's so it's so what could be more necessary than how we give birth? And and the thing that you said that that really hit me was when you said that it's really hard for somebody who's been doing something for 10 or 20 or 30 years to realize that they've been doing it wrong and for them to let go of that and and not, you know, and not feel bad about it because you didn't know. Like for me, the first five to 10 years of my practice, I was the guy in the hazmat suit, you know, immediate cord clamping, taking the baby to the warmer, uh, giving a woman a shot to dry up her milk so she could bottle feed. This is is what I was trained to do, right? And I'm not going to look back and say, how many babies did I damage or mothers did I damage back then? Because- that's not fair because people that... But now the knowledge is out there and you're spreading the knowledge. People that are continuing to do it, that's that's people we have to figure out how to change. We need to change them. And hugging may be the way. <laughs> I never thought of it before. Right. Well, you
2: think, Yeah, oxytocin. It's, yeah. The, only, it's the biggest, best secret. <laughs> but the thing is, is I find that when people talk at me, when they're angry, I have to protect my heart. So I can't hear them anymore. So I keep telling myself... Speak with love, speak with love and, and and don't be. It's really hard during the pandemic. We stopped hugging. We're hugging now again, but it was a hard time for everyone on earth to stop hugging.
0: Yeah, and yes. I'm hoping the people that made those policies will realize someday the damage that they did too.
2: Yeah, when we know
1: better, we do better, hopefully. So we just have to keep doing our best. And do so and I- Give
0: Bliss a hug right now so that she can transfer it to me when when she gets oh. back to the States. Yeah. Oh um, I want that. Okay.
1: Right. We're almost four years into our podcast together. Wow. And, and when we rebranded right before I left LA in 2021, because it used to be Dr. Sue's podcast and we decided we were going to as a team now. So we're the birthing and sphinx podcast. And you know, what we want to do with this podcast is just get word out to as many people as possible so that we could hopefully start to change what's happening. And it's all over the world. It's not just Mm -hmm. in the States. And this is one of the reasons why I'm traveling to see people like Robin and to watch birth in different places, because it does help you think outside of the box, Mm -hmm. you know, and to see things in a different way. And, and we should always be learning. We should always be asking questions and wanting to be better humans and better providers. So
2: I wish you were here. We have, How much now, like, you know, the International Childbirth Initiative, which is the vision and mission statement of FIGO now, is totally, those 12 steps totally are, you know, one of the big movers and shakers behind that was Deborah Pasquale Bonaro, our own orgasmic birth doula. And I mean, those 12 steps include the right to doula care, the right to water therapy and labor, the, you know, all of those human rights for mothers and babies. And Figo, Federation International Gynecologists and Obstetricians, has embraced it because Dr. Andre is a genius. And so, yeah, you need to do a podcast with Deborah. We that.
1: will. We'll have Deborah on and we'll have her to come and talk
2: Debra's, about that. Debra's an earth angel. She really is. But I feel like we fought for so many years. My generation fought for so many years and we just didn't feel like we ever got any traction. I know. And then now all of a sudden your generation of midwives and, and birth keepers gets to have this it wasn't implemented because yet because of the all of a sudden ICI came out figo adopted it as its mission and vision statement and then pandemic happened so all of all of those beautiful juicy doula care wonderful things in childbirth human rights in childbirth was put on the back it's okay But we we're bringing it coming now. It's yeah,
1: we've learned, you know, who knows what the pandemic did to people in terms of changing the way that they looked at things. And it might even have better traction now than it would have
2: before. So everything happens when it's supposed to. But that hard work is done, you know, like the policy is really there. And like we translated it Indonesian and every single policymaker that, you know, goes anywhere near Bumi Sehat or me or any of our midwives or any of our doctors gets handed a copy, a hard copy in Indonesian of that of that beautiful document so
1: i'll make sure and get ones too so we can talk further about oh, it yeah. and you have to write, read whatever was on the back of the cnn thing that you haven't read yet oh gosh. I, don't, I don't think
2: liz is going to listen to this <laughs>
0: and, I, and i've got absolutely nothing to add because i'll just shut up because you guys have just been great it's been great
1: we love you enjoy hawaii and i'll text you in a little bit so we can uh, we can do our little after chat okay okay
0: and, love you. And, yeah. And everybody who's listening, please give us feedback on something like this because this is not our usual format. <laughs> so if you like hearing from some of these amazing people, like maybe we'll get Deborah Pascali Bonaro on, but, and, and other people we will do that and we'll intersperse some of our typical podcasts. So keep listening, <laughs> share the podcast and we'll see you next time. Say bye-bye from <laughs> Bali. Love
2: you, love you.
1: Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. So, wasn't that
0: awesome, Stu? Yeah, you know, she is so full of wisdom and storytelling and wit that, you know, it's almost hard to keep up with her. And I think I can pretty much keep up with most people. But Robin is just, she's a pistol and she just goes and goes and goes. And you're right, you're right. You need to spend a month with her in order to really absorb everything that she has to offer. And she's, she knows everybody and she remembers everybody's name. I know. Yeah. That's a that's a special trait in and of itself is to is to remember people's names and researchers and where they are and what they've done and that sort of thing. So she's spectacular. And you know, she's an encyclopedia of midwifery history and she's a precious tool, not a tool. That's not the right word. She's a precious <laughs> gem. Yeah, that is, she's, she's a, a precious, precious what? Gem. Gem. Okay. Gem. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So she told me that you guys are both going to be at a conference in uh, Australia in November.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Robin's going to be one of the keynote speakers there. And I'm pre- I'm going to be presenting my twin paper, which hopefully Rickson and I will have had published by then. But I submitted the abstract and it got accepted. So that's kind of cool. So that's in November. I think it's the 10th to 13th of November in Sydney, Australia. Um, yeah. We'll be posting more about that as, as time comes on, But it'll be great to be with Robin in her presence. Uh, yeah. amongst other she bunch of other come, great people so i'm sorry
1: she told me to come so i'm thinking about it
0: oh that would be great that would be yeah, great we could we could fly together to that one
1: that would be awesome all right well i'm glad that we were able to coordinate enjoy your time in hawaii and i'm gonna i'm gonna go and have a little fun
0: i won't even ask <laughs> so everybody thanks again for listening and Supporting okay, our everybody, yeah, and supporting our sponsors, and we'll see you next week.
1: Okay, bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast.
0: We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please share and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.